Hi, I'm Melissa Withers, and this is Unfounded. In each episode, a guest and I tackle a topic about biz building and startup culture, but we do it by asking each other only three questions, one about the past, one about the present, and one about the future. The third question, the one about the future, that's the wild card. We have not shared this question with each other in advance. And that's it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, Matt Mara. Thank you for being a guest on Unfounded. I'm really happy to have you here today. Uh, Our topic is building capacity as you grow. Uh, And I know you know that we're going to tackle this topic with just three questions. One that looks to the past, one that speaks to the present, and one that leans into the future. And as you also know, uh, we gave each other a sneak peek into questions one and two about past and present. But question three about the future is the wild card. We have not shared that with each other in advance. Um, And also, as you know, I've declared no formal bios uh, on this show, uh, but for anybody watching or listening that wants to hear a little bit more about Matt's uh, experience as uh, as a business builder, as a mentor, as an investor, you can read about it in the show notes. Um, But what I have done in lieu of bios is ask Matt to pick only three words uh, by which he can introduce himself, just three. So letter rip, Matt, you got three words. Passionate driven, competitive. I, I might drop the mic like damn straight. Like, like I, I don't know. You don't need my affirmation on your identity, but I, yeah. And yeah, you are, you are. And, and thanks for having me. Looking yeah, forward you, to you are those three things. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, all right. Capacity building as you grow. Like, let's do this. Um, you and I have had some pretty amazing and intense conversations about business building. Some of them were pure genius. Uh, Some of them wine soaked nonsense, but all of them, the thing that I always love most about working with you is uh, you, you and I see things differently and I learn so much. We are living proof that there is usually more than one right way to solve a problem. Uh, But where you and I never disagree is that you can't solve any problems without the right capacity. Uh, And so I think I can't think of anybody uh, I'd rather have this conversation with today than you. So thank you again for being here. Uh, We're going to start. Thank you. Uh, We're going to start with the past question. Uh, So go in the we're in the time machine now and looking, gazing back at the mat of the past. Um, What's one business business building skill uh, or technique that maybe served you well earlier in your career that now today has either you value it less or maybe you've left it behind as you've matured as an operator? Uh, Yeah. So this one was easy. Uh, Being always on or eager to have a timely response when asked a question from, you know, the founding team or executive teams, uh, you know, with more experience, you know, comes patience and knowing when to have a complete answer uh, and usually that being more helpful or informative than a fast response. Uh, I've also valued sleep a lot more, having a toddler running around. <laughs> Early mornings are a bit more challenging after uh, late night work sessions. I think when you gave those three words, um, that makes a lot of sense because to be all those things that I can imagine that's one area where you would you would tweak <laughs> as passionate and competitive, right? Like tweaking how you how you throttle down on all that yeah. and what it means, right? Like what, what does it really mean to be passionate? That doesn't necessarily mean that you reply to every message the minute it hits your inbox, right? Yeah, you know, like I would also say those three words are not necessarily, uh, you know, positive traits. Sometimes they're double-edged swords. You know, I passionate can be uh, 
a lot of transparency and emotions on your sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. I don't, no, no, no idea. Never. You've All never right. seen in a whiteboard no. session. No, I've, I've never been passionate with you in one either. So I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, present, your turn. Lay one on me. Uh, sure. Oh, well, don't I, don't I ask you? You're going to ask me. A, yes. Now it's, it's your, your turn you to pass, ask me. Pass, right? Oh, pass. I, this is twice today. I've done that. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm, uh, moving forward, uh, yeah. too fast. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. You're, you're taking me back to the past now. Thank That's you for great. fixing. Thank you for fixing my show for me. Helping out with the editing. Uh, so for the past, my questions for you, especially since I'm on the operator side, uh, was when did you know you wanted, you were willing, or you were able to stop building companies and start fueling other companies' growth with Reva funding? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure I ever stopped wanting to be an operator. I, I think I am a like a, I, I mean, it's probably why you and I became became friends. Is I actually really like to do stuff. Like I'm in I'm into doing stuff. Um, you know, when I started out as an equity investor, I we really we were really more removed from the companies uh, in some ways uh, because we were focused so much just on fundraising. When you come in as a first investor, early stage investor, yeah, you're helping with the business, you're providing some support and resources, but right away the clock is ticking and you're like, shit, I gotta get this company to, to the next round. And it just gets, uh, which is, you know, I understand, it's okay. Uh, when I made the switch after many years, I think Alan and I did like 90 companies in that in that fund. And when we made the switch to RevUp, we, we really did want to give ourselves the flexibility to focus more on fundraising again, to go back to the work that we did when we were founders and, and or when we weren't even founders. Like most of my career has been working for another founder. Like I'm, I'm, I was a pretty good number one for a really long time because I'm like a border collie, like I like to get shit done. Um, so, but when we did RevUp, um, we really wanted to get out of that myopic obsession with fundraising and get back to business building. So we designed RevUp, we did a lot of stuff on the market-facing side. So I think, um, I think I was, I've never really not wanted to operate. What I have experienced over the years is, um, you know, kind of self-taught as an operator. So I will say that as I've matured, I've, I've been able to get more selective and uh, more surgical on knowing where I make the best, the best contribution. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, I think, yeah, I just like to do stuff. So yeah, that's it. Can't, can't blame you. It's hard to turn Yeah, around. Yeah. I mean, it's what it is. <laughs> All right, now we're in the present. Now we're time. Now we're time traveling. So now we're sitting in the present, talking to President Matt. Um, you know, back in the day, we used to talk a lot about the ideal startup team as having like one hacker and one hustler. I remember these cheesy posters that used to be hung up in accelerators and co-working spaces, and it was like this drumbeat. If you had one hacker and one hustler, like you had, you were the you were you had the key to success. Um, you know, what do you think about that slogan today? Um, when you look kind of what like how how you build a company today yeah you know i think in large part i think those are still good attributes of a founding team though i would say you could argue that today you don't necessarily need two founders just given how far like tech has come you know just think about like just think about how you can launch an mvp with just like stripe hubspot salesforce and some like no code low code add-ons again like De depending on your definition of a hacker, right? Like personally, you know, I would change the founder slogan today to like, uh, trust the data, build fast. Um, it shifts the focus from the construct of the team towards like what the winning teams are doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, like obviously fast is all relative depending on your industry and you know who your client is. Um, 
but as long as you know you're focusing your time, you're trusting what the you know the data is telling you, uh, and shipping faster than the other guy, then that's how you can get to the next stage to you know play back to your past you know question of you know making sure you got you get to that next round or you you are able to keep the lights on. You know, even doing things that aren't scalable early on is fine as long as it's, you know, you ship it, you learn, you iterate, you track the improvement and you repeat, you know, that's demonstrating viability of the business and justifying the next, next round of investment. Yeah, that's, I, I, I'm not, I, I set this up and I'm not supposed to respond, but it's becoming really, really hard not to do so. You, but you just made me think that really now a team, you might be, you might have hacker, hustler and data. Data is like the third team member now. And you might trade out the hacker or the hustler I mean, if it's have, right. Like, yeah, that's a really so much more data too now, right? Yeah, like data is almost like a person on the founding team, right? Yeah, there's really, no more, really interesting. There's no more guessing. There's no more yeah. guessing. It's really interesting. I like yeah. that. Okay, I'm not supposed to talk. Um, so, all right, uh, your question for me on the present. That's right. All right. I so, got it right this time. So okay. So you know, intro introspective comes with experience and self awareness. So where are you currently in your professional growth trajectory, and what is the y axis metric you used most to know when you've approached your apex? Wow. Basically, basically, I want to know, you know, in your LeBron James career, <laughs> where are we? Are we still yeah, like a great question. bending the curve? Yeah. Um, and what's yeah. So I feel like, and I, I think, I don't know if it's just the way 2020 was for a lot of people. It, if you were on the precipice of rethinking, you, you had a big opportunity to rethink, right? Like, talk about, they always talk about, it's like with a crime, you know, do you have means and motives? <laughs> and I'm like, if you, if you were on the precipice of, of, of the, of really rethinking, like we had means and motive in 2020. And yeah, I think one of the best experiences that I've, I've been able to have is, is always keep, always really just sort of be able to experiment and innovate with whatever I do. Like I haven't had a lot of experience working in large enterprises where that kind of freedom and flexibility just doesn't come with the package. And I will, I, I, I think I've just come to understand how much that matters to me and how much, how natural I fit there and how I don't really fit just pedaling the bike of a thing once it's up and running. And that kind of stinks a little bit because it could, sometimes it's just nice to keep doing the thing you're really good at. And, uh, and I think for me, I think I'm like more of an S curve person more than a linear person. I think I'm, I think my life is an S curve and I think I am, um, I'm like moving up on the curve again, thanks in part because of, of the moment that COVID gave me to get off the road, to be thinking about the future of, of what I care about, both in terms of diversifying the funding toolkit for, for early stage companies, but also all this language around supporting different entrepreneurs better, like getting beyond that, those buzzwords and actually deciding like, okay, where are you going to put a line in the sand? Like, where are you going to stand on this? And I have, um, and I'm also have a lot of privilege. So I'm lucky to have a little bit of bandwidth and time and an organization that supports me to take these steps. So I would say right now, yeah, like I, um, I think I'm, I'm heading up another S curve. So that means I will like, I will flatten out again. That's, I know that for sure, but uh, I feel like, I feel like I'm on the up right now. And now I just got to figure out um, what's the contour of that. So I'm on the top of the S curve. And yeah. Thinking a lot about it. Just always buy the dip. 
Yeah, yeah, just looking, looking for. I mean, the, if you even just think about the work that we do, uh, the work that I do with founders and how much has just really changed in the last couple of years. I mean, it's really a very different world, um, different opportunities. And so, yeah, I think um, I'm pretty excited uh, to be alive. Like, I'm glad I made it through 2020. Pretty happy about that. So, um, all right, do, 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 do. we're in the future machine. We've just transported into the future. So now as we think about building capacity and um, like, as you grow as an organization or maybe as a person, as the last question was, uh, I would say a, it's an understatement to say that a lot has changed in how you build a business uh, over the last like 10 to 15 years. I mean, it's fundamentally like the half-life of a business model, you blink, like you've missed it, right? And I think given how much things have changed uh, you know, globally, how much consumer behaviors and human behaviors are changing, is there a capacity or resource that is more important today than it was maybe a decade ago or a new capacity that we didn't even think about as a capacity that wasn't on the radar then, but is now? Mm. A new capacity, you know, yeah, like if you think about your, yeah, your toolkit, what's in there. Yeah. You know, I just think kind of going back to the, the founder question, there is so much as a service now. Like there's there's so much that I have found both as a builder as well as an investor on diligence that I can find as a service um, that does, you know, literally open up new value propositions. You know, I'm gonna do it. You know, Knox does a lot that is outsourced. Right. And the reason we're able to do that is because there's been a lot of offline to online happening in, you know, insert any trade. So like literally there are now maintenance teams that have APIs. Like think about yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Right. The whole offline to online of moving, you know, atoms with bits, you know, drop a pin in Tokyo from my chair here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, and a car in the Uber app will move in Tokyo. Yeah. You know, and that driver's going to be kind of upset. But like that's the idea is that you are literally moving people with technology, things with technology that have just unlocked so much more time and the ability to innovate. You know, again, I come back to, you know, the startup uh, founder today is not, you know, one hacker and one hustler. It's, you know, a person that has the vision and utilizes the tools that have been built and scaled. And now they're so cheap because yeah. of the economies of scale that you can just build more faster. Um, so, I, you know, I think it applies to, you know, both sides of the equation here. Um, and I can, I can tell you, I've, I've benefited from that. You know, you can never leave your seat and your salads on the way and lunches are now, you know, no longer in person, it's coming to you and you never left your desk. Now, is that the best thing? I don't know. But, you know, this all this time, um, because of that, you know, that as a service aspect, notarized, yeah. like, you, everything that you ever could want, you know, done in person, or needs a physical being, if it hasn't been built yet, uh, there's people building it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that and it's 
you know, it's a race to find, figure out what those next things that we want to do in person that need to be streamlined are. Yeah, maybe that's that's the capacity that really we we you need a capacity to figure that figure out how you're going to plug all the stuff together and the best confirmation for whatever you want to do. And back in the past, you had to build it all. So you had to figure out the cheapest, most efficient way to build it. And then there, there were some off the shelf stuff, but, but really so much opportunity for value creation now isn't about inventing. It's about connecting things in ways that haven't been connected before, right? It is. And I'm going to, because of that question, I'm going to change my question. I'm, my, you know, the question you're going to ask me? I am. I'm going to Okay. Change. Well, it was the wild card. So I don't, I mean. It, I'm going to change it. Uh, and then okay. and we'll have like a bonus feature of like what the <laughs> other one was. Bonus How's that? Feature. Okay. All right. All right. So, All right. Do, 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 do. Uh, we're in the time machine. You're talking to future. F Melissa's looking to the future. So Melissa's looking into the future because there is so much more capacity and because things are being built as a service at such rapid scale. Is it now binary um, where, or is it less the exception uh, rather than the rule that a founder can only work on one business at a time? I think of Twitter and Square with Jack Dorsey. Mm -hmm. I think of Elon Musk with Tesla and SpaceX. And I just think that, well, I'm curious to hear your perspective as an investor where focus has been such a theme in the past in the future because of that new capacity is that no longer a requirement rather an actual competitive advantage yeah no, i mean i it would be tempting to answer that really glibly right and and talk about how how it would be like to be like no i like that i think singular singular focus there because there are other capacity gaps that you have to fill and all that time that you get back from that I think there are other demands inside businesses today that as soon as you get an inch, something takes an inch. I think there are things today that that are proportionately more challenging um, than they were. They, what's hardest now is just replaced what was hardest yesterday, right? So, so I, I, it's tempting to just sort of focus in on that. And I think there, while you get all this time now on things that you can utilize and leverage, uh, you know, in this as a service module, but you have to be double double attentive and creative around building the models around that and how you deliver value and how frequently you are reassessing if you're creating that value for your customer in the way that you think. And I think that's the, the energy around business model innovation. You now have to revisit a business model with such frequency, right? Uh, in order to see if the way you've tied all that together is creating the value that you want. I'm not sure at the end of the day, you really have a lot of extra time given back to you. I think the dollars that you once invested in maybe perhaps the, and the time in building some of that infrastructure that now you can sort of push a button and tie together. I do think there are other things inside of a business now that will demand that time and that resource. But I, I think there's another answer for a group. There is a place in our innovation entrepreneurship landscape where it's probably always been a little bit true, where, where a person's ability to, to, to be spread is is a, is an attribute and does deliver really unique value back to both of the companies or whatever all of the things um so i think maybe this is going to enable more founders to be those extreme outliers because really the how many jack dorseys are there in the world right like yeah but I, maybe I that there'll be more of that i do think it will help people in the beginning um 
I do think you can multitask around the more practical concerns that most founders have, which is how do you keep the lights on while you're working on it? Like I have seen people kind of get up and out faster like, and get to the place where they could quit their jobs and things like that. So I do yeah. think that there's, that there's, that's, we, like, we're kind of living in that moment. I'll tell you my deep concern about this that I'm, I haven't put words around it yet. I think we reached this point of peak economic efficiency for new co-creation a little, yeah. I, I think we're actually past it. And I'm now seeing the cost of business building going up again. Uh, because of the ways you have to spend now, you used to be able to just have pretty predictable ways to spend on acquisition and you can sort of, but now again, that is every day, every day. Yeah, and it's, not, and, it, and it's not the money you're spending on the platform. It's the money you're spending on the talent to watch the platform. And so I, in my, I, I'm kind of coming to terms now with, with this, a lot of the narrative around capital efficient businesses and reflects some values we developed maybe you know, over the last 10 years when we were, I think we were at peak cost efficiency in getting companies up and running. I'm consistently seeing now uh, to do it right and to do it well, I'm seeing companies need to spend a little more. I don't, I'm not talking go out and hyper raise and go crazy cakes, but I am seeing costs around, uh, costs shifting inside businesses and not being as offset as they once were. So for every efficiency you're getting here, uh, I, I'm not seeing, I, I'm now seeing another expense emerging over here to retain your competitive advantage or to, to do what you need to do. And I'm, I'm, it's one of my things I'm trying to figure out what I'm actually saying here. Uh, but, and I feel like I, now I gotta go find some data <laughs> to, make, yeah. to, get some, to get some legs to this story. But I do think that the pressures we're seeing around how you differentiate because so many of these tools, to your point, were great equalizers. They gave everybody access to the same stuff. So now to compete, you have to add something special. Yep. So what's your specials? And it, in most cases, your specials is, is talent, like people who really know how to ride the wave. Like they, these are like master surf, surf riders, right? Who really know how to ride the wave and that shit's expensive. So I, I think, I, I feel you. Um, I think it's an interesting question. I don't think I know the answer and I, I think this probably back to where we started. There's going to be more than one answer to that question. There is. So there um, you have it. So do you do you? So I'm going to pause. Just in yeah. Case there's a cut. Well, so the, there is no. But there's we don't. I'm not editing these. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so do you want the bonus question? The yeah. Original? Sure. Yeah. Of course. All right. Well, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Um, all right. So the original question was, uh, you know. From your perspective, you know, we have come from, you know, the last call it like five to 10 years of uh, disruption, right? And I guess my question is in the future, um, are we going to, given what has happened over the last year in tech and the focus on big tech having too much power, um, you know, are we actually at the point where we need to have, you know, founders concerned about regulations or their fundamental business worker? Meaning, you know, you know, have you started to warn founders about, you know, when considering cryptocurrencies and accepting them for payment, you know, gig workforces that are actually powering your core business, um, consumer data, you know, collection, yeah. uh, you know, business practices, to have a redundancy plan, you know, given the, the the focus here, and has it shifted your investor thesis at all? I'm not sure it shifted my investor thesis because, uh, in the sense that by the time I invest, companies are are um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure it affects me as an as a directly as an investor. Probably affects me more as a, as a as an advisor, um, where I'm working with companies that are probably outside my my portfolio. So, I think I've always come at these questions differently um, because I I did not come from a community of privilege and uh, had to and worked with business builders that were outside of these networks of privilege. I think I was always more tuned in to the the barrier, the potential barriers and things that you needed a lot of privilege to just leap over. So if you think about the way technology companies that we think of in that context leaped over those barriers, they did so because they had, um, well, some just came first and got away with it. But then after that, they did it because they had incredible amounts of privilege. They had huge amounts of resources to sort of buy their way into this gray space that they're in now. I think the vast majority of companies um, uh, do need to have, be thoughtful and mindful about regulatory environments and cultural changes that are going to impact their businesses. And you see it the way we even had snapback against companies that went from being kind of beloved to being seen as social pariahs, right? As being seen as predatory or it, it, I do think it happens. And I don't know what government will actually do here. Um, you know, I think there are people who are better at reading political tea leaves than I am. I've always sort of just kind of side-eyed all that and kind of gone on with my merry way but I think it would the bigger issue is I think figuring out how all of this disruption stitches together globally I think probably that my takeaway from all of that is you used to only have to worry about one country so as long as you had somebody that had a bead on what the next tranche of regulations would be in North America for this for technology information privacy think about all that stuff right but we kind of tasted that when we had some of the when the European rules around data privacy, you know, be, became so poignant to North American based companies because they had they had global they had global customers. I think when I think about now the frontiers of technology, the when where the wild west of technology is, I think the bigger issue is not only are you going to have to contend with the regulatory issues that are in your backyard, but you you actually now, I think, have to be having a lot of forward-facing resources on how all this stuff's going to fit together, because you could find out at a very inopportune time and in a very disruptive way that it doesn't fit, um, and, and you can find yourself in, in the kinds of trouble that we couldn't even imagine when when we were kids fooling around with technology. So that's probably, that's probably, but I'm also, I am not a hardcore technologist. So that's me. Like, that's like me sitting on in like my Adirondack chair with like a gin and tonic, like talking about like crazy technologists, you know, <laughs> so like I, I'm like, take anybody, like you should take that for what it's worth. I really don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but um, that's kind of how I see it. You know, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, look, like uh, I find it interesting because, you know, I come from, I come from the uh, disruption category. Right. And you know, irrespective of the governing bodies, you know, nothing moves faster than uh, brand and consumer sentiment, right? Sorry. And so if you don't have a redundancy plan of, you know, hey, like this is going to change, you know, yeah. consumer behavior is going to change before any law is passed, that's for sure, right? So yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, that, I think it's an excellent point. Yeah. The, the <laughs> investors yeah. always ask me, you know, what keeps me up at night? And I usually stick with the macro, the things that I can't control. Yeah. Best of what you can control, yeah. the things you can't control, and how quickly you can have a redundancy plan uh, that scales. That's, yeah. you know, that's firefighting. 
<laughs> well, and That's, I just, I, yeah, it's like regular business building today. It's like goes back yeah. to that business model half life. I mean, yeah, you got to do it anyway. So, all right, time is up. We've reached the end of our journey through time and space. We survived. About capacity building. And we survived. We got through it. So, um, thank you again uh, for participating. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me again.